You can listen to The Professional Left on iTunes or at our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com, where you can also contribute to this podcast. There's a PayPal button at our website, or you can mail us a letter and or contribution at our P.O. Box, which is P.O. Box 9133, Springfield, Illinois, 62791. This is the podcast for November 16th, 2012. It's not safe for work. Recorded live from deep inside the gerrymandered states of America, it's the professional left with Drip Glass and Blue Gal. Hey, everybody. Did that work? Yeah, I think so. Yay. We're recording this on Thursday evening with a house full of very quiet kids. We're hoping they're going to be very quiet. We have to record this with kids here. One of our kids got sick at school, and I had to go get them when we were going to do podcasts. So Sick of politics, I (laughs) Sick of politics. (laughs) I know I am. (laughs) Well, we're going to do a little news dump show this week. And next week is our letter show. We're really looking forward to reading your letters on the air. We have a lot of good ones. Yeah. Uh, but this is kind of a top ten list of things that have just come across our email screens and so forth. We want to get to. There's so much that's going on. Several people have written to me and said, boy, the Republican Party is really making sure you don't run out of podcast <laughs> subjects. Yeah. Which is absolutely true. Yeah. Well, they've lost their shit and they lost yeah. the election. And now they're 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 thrashing. They're looking for. You know, anyone to blame yeah. Republicans party or the Republican Party is not an introspective bunch of people. No. They're not self-reflective. They're not they're not they don't ponder and muse about <laughs> what what ideological error did they commit? Well, it's, and I, who can I, I think blame? the media like, wants to really help them out. For yeah. instance, yeah, you know, when you have when you have an infidelity crisis in the news that yeah. the people you're going to have on are Newt and Callista Gingrich. Yeah. Like on yeah. the Today Show and The View. Yeah. Not the onion, mind you. No, no this is real TV. <laughs> this is real TV. Huh? And sure. I, I loved what one commenter over at one of my favorite blogs, Princess Sparkle Pony, who is the expert on Callista and her hair, by the way. Yes, yes. Uh, Princess Sparkle Pony's commenter said that uh, Callista's hairdresser must have special hairspray in her kit, which makes one impervious to shame. Yeah. It's- <laughs> so. And it it's really quite remarkable. Yeah. It, it really, it really is just serial lying adulterer Newt Gingrich and his blowjob queen wife. Number three. Number three are the people you consult on whether or not grain. David Petraeus yeah. is uh, infidelity should be taken seriously or not seriously or how seriously should we take his infidelity? And just the first of all, doing that with Gingrich. Secondly, we still live in the shadow of Bill Clinton. Yeah. Who was who's that party spent the better part of two terms hunting and lying and ginning up stories in the press and throwing everything at the wall and going on one fishing expedition after another. One, if you pardon this choice of Watergate style hearing after another, Uh looking for any goddamn thing they could use to to impeach him. And what they find, they found extramarital sex. And and when you find when you hear Certain people in the Clinton administration at the time talking about a vast right wing conspiracy. Yeah. And you laugh about that at the time. And yeah. then, you know, three years later, you find out, oh, wait, there really was a vast right wing conspiracy. <clears throat> How do well we funded. Know? Because the, some of the people who were running it 
copped to it. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> said, yeah, there was a conspiracy. I was part of it. Yeah, we did this because we got paid to do it. Yeah, it was a bunch of bullshit. We did made we a bunch care of stuff it was up. True? No, nobody cared yeah. if it was true or not. No. Yeah. David Brock. David yeah. Brock, who ran the American Spectator magazine mm-hmm. for a secretive right-wing billionaire called Richard Mellon Scape, mm-hmm. who paid him lots and lots and lots and lots of money to lie about Bill Clinton and, ma- and make up shit and put it in the newspaper about Bill Clinton killing people and assassinating Vince Foster and raping women and having drug cartel contacts. And he made it all up. Yep. He made it all up because right-wing b- crackpot billionaires paid him to do it. Can and I, he made can it I up- share with you, Drift Glass, sure. my favorite reaction to the election? Absolutely. Ever? Uh-huh. <laughs> of all of the whole week? Um. Sarah Westwood, bless her heart. She's a, yeah. she's going to be a sophomore in January at George Washington University, and she's a Republican woman and a Republican uh-huh. college student. And she was given a guest column in the Wall Street Journal. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I remember when I got my first guest column in the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> it was never, oh, wasn't wait it? A that was never. That's right. That, that was that never time. But go ahead, young lady. Here's what she said. Just two sentences from her guest column at the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. The GOP is like a supermodel who has been doing photo shoots under fluorescent bulbs without any makeup. But fix the lighting, dab on some foundation, and highlight her good side. And she can take the most attractive picture. Yeah. yeah. And the, the prescription that, you know, as I say, bless her heart, the prescription that this college Republican college sophomore female using, has. Using the only vocabulary she has. Well, her advice is uh, to dump Limbaugh and yeah. to go pro-choice, which is becoming a Democrat. <laughs> Yay. That, that is, well, first of all. It's the nail on the head, doesn't it? My my short end take on the election is, that was very good. That was that was just fine. But my, my short favorite. end take is, is the GOP. Mm-hmm. To Mitt Romney, especially his post-election comments, his sour grapes post-election comments, yeah. um, is just one more fucked up company that he took over, mm-hmm. ran into the ground, looted for whatever he could get out of it, sank into the ocean, and is now trying to hang around someone else's neck. Mm-hmm. You know, this is what vulture capitalists do. They go and in, they rip the place management. off. He just was, yeah. was executing a risk management operation yeah. in running for president. And now that yeah. the stinking, now that the stinking, you know, wreck is behind him, he has to hang it on someone else. He has to blame someone else for the fuck up. Well, the, again, the problem with conservatism is conservatives. The problem with the Republican Party is Republicans. Mm-hmm. It's the, these are the people you chose to dance with, dude. And I, this, this idea that if we just dump Limbaugh and go pro-choice, watching, watching a clown, a well-funded buffoon like Mark McKinnon, he mm-hmm. of the many scarves, the man of many scarves, the scarves of many colors, who <laughs> was a George Bush Republican. And speechwriter, wasn't he? Or I, yeah, I, I something. Don't know. No, he was he was he but he was deep, deep inside that and of yeah. course when it all went south he became a third way yeah. reformist. Yeah. He's a he's a but he was in the Bush White House, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he's a no he's a no labels guy now. He runs no labels, which is a billionaire vanity project in which we pretend the Republican Party isn't really nuts and the Democratic Party is really a socialist front group. And if we could only find some middle ground and stooges and hacks all over the beltway, the people who control our media narrative love this narrative. This is why Mark McKinnon keeps showing up all over television, even though he has no credentials as a valid commenter on anything except his fashion choices. (laughs) 
but Mark McKinnon, people like him, people like Bobby Jindal, bless his Kenneth the Page little heart, um, <laughs> people like that are, are, are coming up with all these cr- crazy, incredible ideas like, hey, hey, let's stop bashing immigrants. And hey, let's stop talking about rape. And you know what? Maybe women aren't like second-class citizens. And maybe blacks aren't sc- all scary Negroes who want to take welfare from us. And you go down the list of all the things that they're sort of spitballing. Maybe if we just got rid of this and this and this, they're talking about turning the Republican Party into the Democrats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and yet no one can say that because it's important that you have this boogeyman on the left that you are a principled opponent of. Because if if all you're doing in your third way, no labels, let's reform the party, um, spitballing, uh, brainstorming, is saying – Let's be Democrat light, um, but with slightly lower tax rates. Then what does that mean about the people who you've been telling everyone on the left is a monster and a socialist uh, beast who wants to you know, make your children gay and take your guns and put you in reeducation camps? What are you going to tell them? How are you going to deliver that message to them? Now is the time to cooperate with people you told us were our mortal existential enemies who want to destroy America? How are you going to sell that exactly? And by the way, that it's nice of you to join the party, but here's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to invoke the Andrew Sullivan rule, um, which which is one Andrew Sullivan never followed, which is if it took you this fucking long to wake up to the fact that liberals are right all along, you have to go to the end of the fucking line. You don't get to keep your job in the media, Mark McKinnon, if your advice to the GOP is become a Democrat. As a lifelong Republican, you now have to go work in a soup kitchen for 20 years. Well, and you can forgive a college freshman for believing oh, that. Uh, no, she was the but, entry point. I absolutely, <laughs> I absolutely do. But, but Mark McKinnon I, has been around the block <laughs> many, many, many times. And if you, again, if if you were an if you were uh, an Iraq war hawk, you you're perfectly it's perfectly okay for you to have your opinion, but you need to shut the fuck up for about 20 years on anything to do with foreign policy, mm-hmm. John Kane, yeah. and sit down, you crackpot old man. If your idea of economic policy was, hey, let's keep cutting taxes for rich people until we all get rich ourselves, and thought de- massive deregulation was a good idea, you get to keep having your stupid opinions. But you need to shut the fuck up for 20 years about anything to do with economics. And that's my real problem with the media. It's we're, people we're who jumping are all over the place here, and I we know. need to. We're, we're going to have a two-minute podcast if we keep doing I, that. So. I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. But let me put it very briefly. If you're a serial fuck up on every single thing that, that has been a problem in this country for 20 years, you under my regime, you don't get to keep your job at the New York Times. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I want to give a hat tip to my long-term Facebook friend George, who sent me a link to. So a project that Mark McKinnon appears to at least have signed his name to. Yes. And it looks kind of interesting, and I'd be interested in hearing what our listeners think of it. Uh-huh. Um, the guy who's heading it up is Trevor Potter, who is Stephen Colbert's attorney. Yeah. Who's always helping him uh, shovel money and make it disappear, particularly this he, week. Helped him. He's a super PAC lawyer. Yeah. And and he's an opponent of super PAC. So he's, yes. he's communicating through Stephen Colbert that... This money can just disappear, <laughs> these millions of dollars, and and nobody can do anything about it. Yes. But he's come up with something that he calls the American Anti-Corruption Act, and uh-huh. you can go read about it at anticorruptionact.org. And it, it just looks very interesting. It really is about increasing transparency and uh, 
encouraging smaller donations and really opening up the process and fixing some of the problems with money in politics. And I'd be interested in hearing what our listeners think of that. So go check it out. Yeah, because it really is. I mean, we can we dodged a bullet with Citizens United yeah. this yeah. time around, but it's no, we around really forever. don't. We don't even know if we've dodged a bullet because we right. don't know what the impact of some of these low, down ticket races are going to be. Yeah. So, but but we we dodged the, uh, some of the bullets yeah. we, that could have hit us. Yeah. But yeah. this is the first of many many elections to come where corporations will be able to pour an unlimited amount of money into mm-hmm. a system, and eventually it'll kill us. Yeah. Yeah. Bobby Jindal is. Uh, Hey, Jindal 2016, Drift Glass. Yeah. yeah. Please. I have already heard on television at least five times. Is it too early to talk about 2016? Yeah. Perhaps not. Uh. Yes, it really is. You need to you need to talk about the weather or the NFL or something. But please stop speculating about elections four years from now. By the way, there's there are elections in 2014. Yeah. And those but they don't are get the, the ones we get to gear up for now. Yeah, Absolutely. But, we, but don't give they don't give news people the big boners no. that presidential elections do they don't no. they don't generate those billions of dollars in sweet sweet ad revenue that presidential elections do but i really love how bobby jindal and uh marco rubio yeah are now sort of the future of the party because in spite of everything they are probably the i i think they actually make paul ryan look deep in yeah. terms of their intellectual capacity oh it's pretty bad yeah it's bad um and i wanted to give you a quote from Bobby Jindal this week. Uh-huh. Uh, first of all, he did famously say that we should that the GOP should stop being the stupid party, which yeah. I guess is his way of separating <laughs> himself from I don't know what. And become uh, the Democratic Party. And become so the good. Democratic yeah. Party. That's where, that's where everybody's trying to go. But here's what Bobby Jindal said this week. We are certainly going to go to the president and give him a chance to actually be bipartisan. Yeah. <laughs> I'll stop there. It's, it's mighty white of you, Bobby Jindal. <laughs> mighty white of you, God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But th- that is essentially David Brooks's column. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It is. Yeah. Barack Obama has a mandate to capitulate to, to Republicans. He Republicans has a mandate want. to. He has a mandate to do whatever Republicans want. <laughs> no, he didn't really want a mandate because he, you know, Barack Obama being who he is only gets three fifths of the mandate. Oh. Yeah. But. Every, well, speaking of that, though, I think this is when we yeah. get into the real meat of our podcast. Yeah. Because as I've said on Twitter and other places, really with the GOP, the Confederacy is all they've got left. Oh, it is. It absolutely is. And, and this is what Eric Erickson over at Red State said. Somebody paraphrased him to say, Eric Erickson, less rove, more Atwater. Um, yeah. Well, and Eric Erickson, Eric Erickson of Red State and CNN. And yes, he's got a mainstream media job. Yeah. Standing next to Wolf Blitzer. Think about that. Despite the fact that he's nuts. Yeah. Well, he he said at Red State, you know, because everyone has made the comment demography is destiny and the Republican Party is the party of old white people and so on. Uh, He he disagrees with that. And says, demography is only destiny when your party is obsessed with race, as the Democrats are. Yeah. Got that? As we are. Our, our obsession with race is well known, Blue Gal. Yeah, we, we built an entire ideology. Oh, wait a minute. That's not us. That's, that's an entire ideology else. on on <laughs> not one black drop, you know? Yeah. That was, yeah. That, no, sorry. That wasn't uh, I will. I will say that it, the counter the counter argument, just, just so everyone out there knows this. Whenever you bring this up with a uh, 
a moral functioning illiterate like Eric Erickson. The retort is always they get they puff up like a blowfish and they get very angry and they say, "Yo, well, the Democrats were the party of the Klan." Yeah, which is true in 1922. That was absolutely true. But we don't live in 1922 anymore. And next time one of your conservative friends decides that that has something to do with anything on Facebook, ask, it's always on, on Facebook, Facebook, yeah, or anywhere. Yeah. Ask them, "How old are you?" Mm-hmm. Because unless you're 104. The Republican Party has been the party of bigots and imbeciles on purpose because that's their electoral strategy for your entire lifetime. For my entire life, and I'm older than most of the people I talk to on Facebook, I think. And they did it publicly and on purpose. So if you're a Republican, it's not like some weird geographic destiny and war and uh, the, the migration patterns of your ancestors had anything to do with it. If you're a Republican, you really have to choose to be a member. Voluntarily, eyes open, choose, choose, choose to be a member <laughs> of the party of bigots and morons. So, you know, and you're, I understand why you, why you wouldn't be proud of that. Well, I'm an that, independent. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm an independent. <laughs> I'm a libertarian so, yeah. independent. <laughs> so yes, you're absolutely right. Democrats used to be that, and the Republicans took all of our bigots away from us. Because of Johnson, and we really need to understand American history that LBJ, a Southerner, Uh looked at the Southern caucus, the Southern Democratic caucus in the House. The Dixiecrats. He pointed at them and said, we shall overcome. Uh And they ran away. And they ran and into the arms Republicans. of They first ran into the arms of George Wallace, and then they ran into the arms of Richard Milhouse yeah. Nixon, and they've yeah. been there ever since. And, so this and is, that's yeah. this story. And so, if you're again, if you're a Republican and and you are alive and you're and you're ambulatory and alive, then pretty much your entire life this has been true, and and your entire life you've known it's true. Mm-hmm. So you've had to justify um, riding in the same bus, voting for the voting for the party. Uh, backing the policies of a party that is conspicuously and deliberately a party of racists and imbeciles your entire life. So I can see why you would want to bring up, you know, it's like saying the stock market was great in 1928. Yeah. You know, yeah. and and it's sort of omitting the fact that shortly after you, the date that you drew on the calendar, everything changed and you were a part of it. This is your party. Your party is Rush Limbaugh. You live in his sphincter. That's who you are. And if you can't embrace that, then you have a real problem because every time you turn around, a scary man in a hood, in a white hood, is going to be staring back at you asking for your membership card. Yeah. And and this is the party you built, man. This is your fault. There's no one to blame for Republican Party dynamics but Republicans. And and unless so, unless yes. you're willing to kick those people out of your party and say, I do not associate with them, you're, you're depending on them for votes and they're on the bus with you. So, and so we fully understand why you cope with this horrible existential By calling yourself conflict, an independent. By yeah. calling yourself an independent and saying, say it with me, Blue Gal, both, both sides. sides. <laughs> you know, both sides are people Equally wrong. You know, both sides got racial <laughs> problems. And of course you just. Well, and I want to talk about Laura Ingram. For a yeah, moment, well, because yeah. she really brought up Southern strategy and then and said that we need to reform the GOP using a Southern strategy and then totally rewrote what Southern strategy means. Yeah. Now, let's be clear that Southern strategy means using racism to get votes. Yeah. That's what it means. And 
Laura Ingram went on Fox, of course, and said and rewrote history and said, well, you know, in 1964, after we lost a, an election big time, the Republican Party lost with Goldwater, Bill Buckley and Brent Bozell Sr. and all these conservatives got together and they said, we're going to figure out how to sell this idea of economic conservatism and the conservative framework to new voters. Yeah. And they went into the South and they transformed Mississippi and Alabama, all yep. these places where people had never voted Republican before. Yep. End of quote. Yep. And that's so not what happened. Of course not. Of course not. <laughs> Bill, Buckley, you... Bill Buckley, this is pointed out by David at Video Cafe, said, you know, Bill Buckley used the National Review to argue that Southern whites were superior to blacks. Yeah. <laughs> Which was a very appealing message to Southern whites. Yes. Yes. And Brent Bozell apparently went up and down to try to prove states' rights. And the federal government could not end segregation or govern election laws in the South. So (laughs) that's the Southern strategy, people. But uh, Laura Ingram is, is embracing Southerners as... You know, we'll have a new Southern strategy that will reform the GOP by selling them economic conservatism. Yeah. Now, if you think that's why the South voted for Romney <laughs> is because, you know, they're economic conservatisms and their big concern is the deficit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is this is, again, part of the part of the reason why they went Wiley Coyote into that concrete wall on Election Day. Yeah. Yeah, this is this is a, and this is a real danger uh, when you're a cult. Yeah. And yeah. the right is a cult yeah. now is that the people at the very top forget that it's a cult, forget that it's all bullshit and they believe their own bullshit. They start to believe their own fantasies. They start to. I mean, I've said this before and I won't dwell on it this week, but David Brooks it doesn't just write horrible columns that are full of lies for the New York Times, which he does. David Brooks is engaged in a very long-term project to completely rewrite the history of conservatism mm-hmm. in America right, right. and put himself in the center of it as a sage and a wise man and a guru and a, an elder statesman. Now, did, let me ask you a question. Did David Brooks sure. predict a specific number result for the election? He did not. No, no, he did not. Unlike no, a lot of other people, he did no. not start counting electoral votes. Oh, okay. no, no. He's David Brooks is not a... An Eric Erickson conservative. Right, right. Okay. He, he, Eric Erickson and Laura Ingram want to continue on this, but they, the, the thing is Eric Erickson and Laura Ingram cannot exist without David Brooks or vice versa. Right. No, I understand that. I understand that. They, but the reason I was asking is I wanted to ask you a more specific question about the outcome sure. of the election, uh-huh. which is speaking as a Democrat, just, just glancing at the internet the days leading up to the election, it was communicated to me constantly the urgency of me going out to vote. Yes. By the Obama people, by all of his subgroups, all of the groups that were supporting him, unions. Yep. I had a daily email from the AFL-CIO about going <laughs> out to vote, getting mm-hmm. to vote early. Here's where your polling place is. Enter your zip code. Find out where to remember, go. Remember when we went out to vote, we saw people out um Canvassing. Yeah. Oh, door to door. Waved at Door to door, getting people out to, out vote, to vote that morning. Yeah. Yep. yep. Obama yep. with Obama stickers on. Yeah. 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 So and, and they were going door to door and hanging doorknob stickers on our doors and so forth. Yeah. Uh, it was really communicated to us as Democrats that it was critical and essential that we get out to vote. And 
looking at all of these failed pundits, and there's actually now a tumbler of the of all of these conservatives saying Obama's or Romney's going to win with a landslide. Um, I'm just wondering if plain and simple, in in addition to the failure of the Romney people to do a adequate get out the vote movement with their fail whale, as we talked about last week, uh-huh. if all of these predictions didn't suppress the vote. You know, oh, Romney's going to win a 310 electoral vote landslide. And if uh-huh. you're sitting in your Barca lounger and you're a typical, in terms of age, Fox News viewer, you might decide, oh, I don't need to go. Do you think do you think that's the case? I think that's that's like Schrodinger's vote. There's no way yeah. to know. Yeah, that's um, true. I tend to think not because I th- the, the, the get out the vote um, enterprise on the right has always been very impressive. Hmm. They're technologically um, way behind Democrats. They don't believe in math, so they don't – and so they and have they a problem. they don't utilize the internet in, <clears throat> in the way that we do, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but they have a very good get out the vote operation. Uh, but I, I think their model is just wrong. The product they're selling just stinks, and it, it might have caused some people to stay home. It might not. I I, I don't know, but it is it is the the degree to which they ginned up a terror of the black president. Yeah. And the the number of emails I have seen saying if Obama wins, the backlash from the right is going to be you know we're going to secede. We're going to we we're, you know our ammunition sales will go up. Mm-hmm. Um. The, the horror they've had, the, the loathing they have been taught to feel every time his name is mentioned, I think overrides their desire to sit their ass in their Barca loungers and mm. assume they're going to win because huh. they okay. fucking hate this guy. Yeah. And they've hated him since before he was inaugurated. And you can see that seething out of John McCain today. Just Oh, yeah. The, yeah. It, and, and by the way, um, I, it, it was brought to my attention that there was a very ugly email that went out before the election. Uh, predicting voter fraud, which is another thing that's come up a lot lately. Oh, you know, now we're, now we're really worried about voter fraud and they can't blame Acorn like they did in 2008. But, no. uh, there was a very ugly email, conservative email about mm-hmm. how because the 20th of January is a Sunday. Yes. Inauguration day is now on Martin Luther King Day. It's going to uh-huh. be on Monday, the 21st of January. So, uh-huh. mm-hmm. uh, you know, watch watch out for some very ugly language to come out of that too. Um, well, I I don't think that that overconfidence led to voter suppression on the right, but I do think they have built themselves a doomsday weapon that is now that they've now fallen into. What would that, um, what would that be? They have, if you you know, I don't believe they're capable of reforming themselves. Hmm. I think as hmm. long as they can lean up against the, the the drunken idiotic argument that liberals are just as bad. Or liberals are worse. Oh, yeah, you can yeah. you will you will follow that lie into hell. Well, that's interesting. You know? So so centrism actually suppresses reform. Oh yes, they of, they will of never the, of the right. That's interesting. Because if you, I hadn't if you, thought of it if you that think way. back, no matter no matter how how steeped in bullshit you know, and this is going back a long ways. This is Iraq War, Bush administration, torture, you name it, everything. Every single time a Republic, another conservative lie, another Republican policy has blown up in their face horribly, publicly, humiliatingly. Every time they've, they've, they've had something happen as bad as this year, as bad as a selection that they should have fucking learned from, and they didn't, and they doubled down on it. Every time that happens, you scratch a conservative, and what do they say? They always say it. They always say liberals are worse. 
Liberals are worse. It doesn't matter how many how many times I fuck up. It doesn't matter how many deficits we run up because liberals are worse. And that keeps them from t- from entertaining any ideas from outside of Rush Limbaugh's brain. Uh, but the the um, machine they built for themselves is gerrymandered districts. Yeah, yeah. Even if you're yeah. if you're a reform minded Republican, and Lord knows I'm sure there's four out there somewhere. If you really are, are, if you really think that there should be a counterweight to the Democratic Party, and I happen to agree with that, a sane, rational, counterbalancing force to the Democratic Party, I completely and firmly believe it. Uh, what you want is a rational Republican Party that isn't driven by paranoia and superstition and idiocy. Mm-hmm. And you're never going to get that with gerrymandered districts where the only way you can win in the House is by running to the right of whoever you're running against. Mm-hmm. Because all you're doing is leapfrogging your way right off the edge of the cliff. And unfortunately, you've gerrymandered a bunch of districts where you can't do anything but act crazier. If you want to win in, in sister fuck Arkansas, yeah, yeah. you'd better get out there and talk about Barack Obama with a bone through his nose or you're not going to get elected. Mm-hmm. And you, you put a whole house of representatives of people like that together who refuse, who believe cooperation is suicide and the Democrats are, are, are commies. You know, you're, you're going to have a conversation. Well, and, and I, that dovetails. We're, we're skipping ahead on our list of things to say, but that dovetails yeah. really well into the discussion of Lindsey Graham, who was yep. up for re-election in 2014, and has lost his mind. I mean, he has morphed into this really vicious. I mean, he's ending his career on a very vicious note because I don't think he's going to get re-elected. I don't think he's going to no. win his primary. It's South Carolina. Yeah. And they yeah. think he's a liberal. I mean. There's they, think he's a, they think he's a gay liberal. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, if and, their eyes are open, they think he's a gay liberal. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so Lindsey Graham has this fear of teabagging, does he? Uh-huh. This <laughs> terrible fear of teabagging because it's right in his face. Oh. Yeah. Get those teabags out of my face. Uh, I, I, you know, again, I, as I said last night, I already took karma out for a mojito when it heard about uh, Lindsey Graham living in terror of teabagging. Yeah, so, yeah, that's you know. It. And, and Lawrence O'Donnell will call Lindsey Graham all kinds of mean names and say the media better call him out on this as, just as I had, but he won't say no, he will David say Gregory who is having Lindsey Graham on on Sunday. I'm sure he is. So, I'm sure he is. And has had him on a million times before. Had him, had him on all during the Iraq war. Uh, has John McCain on constantly. Um, I, I, I'm very delighted that Lawrence O'Donnell, but we were watching him in real time, and I was tweeting him the entire. I don't. I, David I don't, Gregory. I said, I dare you to say it. I dare you. He said, you, dare you. He dare said, you. he said, people. I do this on the show all the time. People on television, people on TV, people with TV shows have Lindsey Graham on. They never call him on his lies. They never call him on it. And I said, I dare you to say David Gregory yeah. out loud. Yeah. Double dare you. I triple dare you. I double dog quintuple dare you. Spell it, David Gregory. Go ahead. Go ahead, Lawrence, say it. The guy who's in your office. The phone calls are coming from inside the building, Lawrence. Mm-hmm. And and of course you can't say that because the minute Lawrence O'Donnell says the problem with our media is a guy named David Gregory who I work for, you know, who has who feeds out of the same trough I do at NBC, except he's got a much, much, much bigger office, is the last day Lawrence O'Donnell's on television. Yeah. So he's yeah. never gonna say it. And I you know, I get that, but it's just incredibly sad that Someone who that that the people people who are inside the media bubble, if I would include Laura Ingram in this list. Mm-hmm. If you if you shot him to the truth serum, 
They know they're lying. Yeah. They absolutely know the people they're talking to on right-wing radio are meat sticks. They're laughing all the way at the bullshit you can make these people believe. And Lawrence O'Donnell absolutely knows, having worked in television for 30 years, that the problems with the media, many of them begin at NBC, yeah. at his own network with his own people. With Mark Halperin mm -hmm. and Chuck Todd mm -hmm. and Tom Brokaw and David fucking Gregory, he goddamn well knows it. And he and, and yet, you know, there's, there's a gun to his head. He can't say it out loud. Because, and he can attack safe targets. Mm -hmm. They do it all the time. Andrew Sullivan is perfectly willing to attack people who can't help his career. You know, but, you know, Drift Glass, we have now entered the science fiction portion of our show. Yes, we have. <laughs> uh, Nate Silver. You you wanted uh -huh. to say something about Nate Silver versus Joe Scarborough. I did. And and encourage our listeners to take a drink. I do. I strongly encourage our, our listeners to take a drink because almost exactly 60 years ago, um, on election night in 1952, a similar contest was waged between the forces of math and the forces of punditry. And the pundits did not like what math said. And so lied about it. it. The year was 1952. America lived in black and white. We were happier then and younger and freer and full of beans and conquering the world. And there was a, a young upstart named Adlai Stevenson taking on a, a general named Dwight David Eisenhower in the election for the presidency of the United States. And a computer named ENIAC, one of the first um, – first actual computers with vacuum tubes and flashing lights and everything um, was as a stunt was asked to predict the outcome of the election based on early results and, and sampling. And ENIAC came back and said, essentially um, it's going to be Eisenhower in a landslide. And all of the polling, all of the uh, common beltway wisdom was, it was going to be um, probably, Adlai Stevenson in a, in a slight win with a victory. It's a small but It's going to be, as they say, razor close. It's going to be razor close. <laughs> and it, it certainly wasn't going to be Eisenhower in a landslide. And so they actually programmed the computer with all the proper information, punched the buttons, and the thing came out and said essentially, uh, yeah, Ike's going to, Ike's going to slam dunk. It's going to be a landslide. And they wouldn't air it. Oh, refused, wow. Refused to put it on CBS the air. CBS wouldn't said, put it on the air. They wouldn't put it in the air. Any act, is it, well, any act, do you think there's, oh, I guess any act is, is being a very reasonable computer and being reasonable is not going to jump to any conclusions. And it was hilarious. And a few days later, it came out that, you know, well, it might have been the same night. It was like, uh, actually, the computer predicted this um, dead on. Yeah. And we pundits were wrong. And here's where you got to take a drink. A few years later, um, Isaac Asimov wrote a, a story called Franchise in which um, the Amer America had become a, a, quote, electronic democracy, unquote. And polling and prediction and mathematical modeling were so good, computers were so accurate, that eventually computers simply picked one citizen to decide the election. Because whoever that person picked would have been the president anyway if we would have had an election. And so the the, the idea of, Computer. They found a person who was a cross-section of the American public in such a way that exactly. he could just say it. Yeah. And he would then decide the election. But the idea that you could use sampling and polling and eventually – I think the election in uh, Asimov's story was 2008 or 2004, you know, way in the future, in the 21st <laughs> century. Yeah. But the idea that polling and modeling and mathematics 
would get so good that it would eventually predict elections is not neat silver new. It's not anything new. It's mm-hmm. But the idea that almost exactly 60 years to the day, the forces of math and the forces of punditry would once again lock horns and the, the pundits would just sneer at the idea that some pointy-headed mathematician could possibly know how elections were going to turn out when my gut tells me different. Well, and that uh, is the point, isn't it? Is there's so much money in the, yeah. as as Stephen Colbert calls it, the election industrial complex, oh, that yeah. if a mathematician can come in and say, no, that we, we know who the reliable Republican voters are. We know who the reliable Democratic voters are. We know who is most likely to turn out. And uh-huh. therefore, we can, with certain a certain mathematical certainty, yep. Nate Silver never said, I am 100% sure this is what's going to happen. Never did. He, had, he never said that. He had percentage chance that this was going to happen. And, uh-huh. you know, he was he was careful. But he was right. And it is a direct threat to the punditry and the election industrial complex that buys ads, that puts consultants on staff, that puts Bay Buchanan on a paycheck, yeah. on a payroll. Yep. Well, you know, if if the election, if you can just say, no, people really do have settled in their political opinions and we can depend on it to be this way. But before November 6th or whatever the election day is, there's there is no point in having a <laughs> David Frum or a Joe Scarborough or no, anyone sit all. there and and pontificate about it. Well, yeah. and it, we veer dangerously. Or a blue drift class pontificate yeah. well, about it. We, but we, we, we would then veer dangerously close to having discussions about policy. Yes. And about Instead outcomes. of chances. Yes. Yes. And about facts. And, and that's how something I that we're feel interested in doing. Yes. Instead of my gut. Yes. And every, every imbecile pundit from Peggy Noonan to David Brooks would be talking about what the American people want based on, you know, my shopping patterns last week. I can say with certainty that the American people think this or that. You don't know. First of all, there is no such thing as we allied into our next topic. There is no such thing as the American people. Well, and I, it is fascinating to know that Peggy Noonan, her gut telling her that Romney was going to win was based on yard signs that she saw driving around. Which neighborhoods was uh, yeah. Peggy Noonan <laughs> driving around in? That she saw these Romney signs? I oh. find that very interesting that she saw so I'm many guessing Romney gated signs. white enclaves, but, Honestly. you know. Yeah. Honestly, she she drove through Tony Georgetown. And you know. saying, saying, I've gotten drunk at every one of those houses. Yeah. So, and, and, and yeah, we, we, we do want to take a brief moment to talk about things that no longer exist or never did. Yeah, yeah. It's just, <laughs> just one, the American people. Yeah. The American people never existed. At all. We, there are moments in our history, but, but when you hear pundits pontificating about what the American people want or don't want or believe or don't believe, it's bullshit. Yeah. It, there, there is no such group of people, and anyone who purports to speak for them is lying to you. And, there, and like you say, there are times in American history and there are events that do unite us as a people. I've been really impressed with Obama this week. He actually went today back yeah. to New York to talk about Hurricane Sandy and that I'm going to come back again. And he's really using this as an opportunity to talk about government as an extension of society. Yeah. And that we are simply helping. Government is there to help because firefighters are there, because the Red Cross is there, because volunteers are there. He talked about there were volunteers from Canada helping out with cleanup. 
you know, and, and that this is human beings and the government is there as an extension of that to assist in that effort. And if you talk about the American people wanting to help those who have lost everything in a hurricane, absolutely. Huh? You can talk about yes. the American people that way. But when, <laughs> when Mark Halperin says the American people want austerity because his gut tells him that, you know, mm-hmm. his gut tells him that, you know, it's really about crushing debt. Really, that doesn't exist. And so imagine if you swept aside Mark Halpert mm-hmm. because math came in and said, look, what whatever your indigestion is telling you today doesn't mean a goddamn right. thing other than it's a blot of underdone potato or well, you know, a blot of mustard. You know, and, and the other thing that Nate Silver does is combine polls and look for yeah. trends. And yeah. so it's Mark Halpert can't take a different poll each day and talk about it for 10 minutes. You know, the, oh, yes, and, and make it great news for John McCain. <laughs> but, so, but but then imagine sweeping Halpern aside mm-hmm. and spree- sweeping Noonan aside. And instead, those very valuable hours of the day, of the weekend, where, where Americans, millions of Americans, 20, 30 millions of Americans gather around their electronic campfire mm-hmm. on Sunday mornings and Saturday nights and on, around the radio and really do. It's the only time we act as a community. When it comes to political things, it's, you know, there's millions of people who never bother with politics, but the people who take a passing, fleeting interest in it, that's where they get their news from. Imagine if instead of talking about Mark Halpern reading polls and David Gregory reading David Brooks's column aloud and asking him how he feels about it, which is all he ever does. Imagine a really sober discussion about, okay, we all want to help people who are in distress. What exactly is the proper size and scope of government at the federal, state, county, and municipal level. Wow, and you Where, had to have Mark Halperin actually answer that question. Yeah, and have a real debate over I, – I don't think government can solve every problem. I don't think government can solve most problems. No. And I don't but, think government can be anything but an extension of society in terms exactly. of you – know, if government comes in and enforces uh, voting rights, for instance, they're doing that because each citizen of this country has a right to vote. Mm-hmm. They're not doing it because the government has some sort of right to tell people what to do. No, this is about citizenry and their rights. That's what's going on there. And and conservatives want to turn that on its head and say it's the evil federal government telling us what to do. No, it's no. based on citizens' rights. It's your fellow citizens yeah. deciding in the aggregate what sort of kind of they want the government to do. And there's there are lots of wonderful discussions to be had inside of that very big philosophical tent about okay what do you want what is appropriate what is yeah. what is a good mix but we never have those discussions because instead we have mark halpert reading those polls right and if and we did because, have those discussions drift glass this gets into yeah. a letter we got this week from one of our overseas listeners named john and i'm not yep. going to read the letter but it was it was heartbreaking because <clears throat> he's had uh financial not so much financial difficulties as, as work difficulties just getting work yeah. Yeah. and once he gets a job, and this is universal, we're all dealing with this. So many of us are dealing with this, including yep. people in this house, which is there is no full-time work anymore. Nope. And nope. Driftglass, you haven't had a full-time job since 2008. Nope. And so nope. we understand firsthand what this is like. But if we were to have a discussion of issues and, and what is important and a national discussion about these things, Mark Halpern wouldn't be – allowed to get away with talking about polls instead of talking about this recession and the fact the recession the election hasn't made the recession go away no 
It's still here, and it's still causing immense amount of pain, and it's still really, really, in very fundamental ways that we probably won't understand for another five or ten years. It is. It has deeply traumatized us yeah. in, in, a, well, in the same way that 9-11. Yeah, well, and financially, it, I mean, think of all of the – I can't remember the last time I had a paycheck where I contributed something to retirement. Yep. I, mean, I literally can't remember. Yeah. So all of that income, all of that savings, all of that planning for the future is gone. Yeah. And then you get into <laughs> talking about grand bargain and yeah. – <laughs> grand bargain in light of that kind of reality is a joke. And I, I really think we need to turn the argument to has the middle class, the question needs to be, has the middle class in this country had enough austerity or not? Yeah. Since yes. 2008. What? And that brings us back to things that no longer, no longer existed or never did. Yeah. Um, the idea that what this country needed and still needs at, at the depths of the worst economic catastrophe in our lifetimes, mm-hmm. when we had already run up staggering deficits mm-hmm. under George W. Bush by lying us into war and then having tax cuts that weren't paid for, that what we need uh, at the very depth of that depression was to cut government as brutally as possible. Mm-hmm is such a disaster capitalist, oligarch, 1% jerk-off fantasy of how human nature and economics behaves. And yet, it's taken seriously. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the, the way, really? So the way out of a massive um, shortfall in demand is to cut demand even further. Mm-hmm. Really? And, and the answer is basically, well, I, of course, because all my money is parked in the Caymans. So yeah. fuck you. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't care. Yeah. And... Now, there's a real debate to be had there, but the the idea that – and this is something that just fucking obsesses our our media ruling class. You cannot read a David Brooks or or Tom Friedman column without hearing the word grand bargain just jerked off dozens of times Mm -hmm. because that's all they care about. Because let's face it. These are really, really rich guys, and they don't want anybody touching their fucking pile of money. Right. So the only thing we can do is cut those poor dumb bastards who are middle class and working class – and, you know, it's for the good of everybody and character and freedom and stuff like that. And and which is hilarious. That's a wonderful conversation to have at a bar. But these guys control our media. Yeah. And yeah. so we keep having this this absurd discussion about how much we should blow a hole in the economy further mm-hmm. at a time when what we need is a whole bunch of government spending, even if it costs us deficits, because the only way the hell out of this is by deficit spending. And Republicans understand that. This is this is going back to the two uh, Santa Claus theory of Republican governance, which is we hate social programs. We hate Social Security. And since nobody's ever going to vote against them, we need to find a way to kill them. And the only way we can do that is by running up staggering deficits when we're in office. And then once we're out of office, we say, well, we have to cut these horrible deficits. I wonder where they came from. And the only thing we can cut really are all those entitlement moocher programs for the 47 percent. Yep. And that's how they do. Mm-hmm. Run up big deficits and stick someone else with the bill. This is what Mitt Romney does for a living. So it's but again, that the austerity thing doesn't exist. It isn't a real thing that we need to do right now. No. Other things that don't exist? <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm really glad Secretary of State John Bolton doesn't exist. I just want to yeah. say that for the record. Yeah. Um and I I we have to end this podcast pretty soon, but I yes. I do have to say for the record that I 
think Nancy Pelosi is wrong. And I'm I, I yeah, I, I just have to say that. Uh, Go ahead. I, I, don't, I don't I don't think that that little um, what's his name? The guy who asked the question, Luke Russert. Luke. <laughs> I don't think little Luke Russert is right. And I do think his question about her, whether she should retire or not, was sexist because she's net. He's never going to ask Speaker Boehner that question. You know, no. he's never going to ask uh, one of his his power substitute daddies whether they're going to retire or not. So I do think well, his it, question about her age and her retirement was sexist. The very idea of Luke Russert asking someone else about their job qualifications. Yeah, is hilarious. Is hilarious. Hilarious. Uh, but, Luke and, and she was right to old. smack him down. She was right yeah. to smack him down. But, yes. you know, I wrote in 2010 about the fact that we need more retirements in Congress, not less. Yeah. Yes. And this isn't an ageist thing. This is, you know, I think it's vanity on the part of the citizenry. I really do. That you always feel younger if the leadership of your country is older than you are. Yes. Yeah. And yet here we have here we have, you know, the boomers turning 65 every single day. And so they apparently want Congress people in their 90s. And and this affects policy. That's what I want to talk about here. We, we were talking about this letter from John. He's in his 50s. You're in your 50s. And all these 50-year-olds who who can't buy a job out there on yep. the job market, can't buy a yep. full-time job with benefits. And At we have all. all these 80-year-olds who are going on and they get their Botox in the office and, you know, oh, I'm so lively and I fly first class across the country and I do this and that. And seriously, if if your perspective on your life pattern is, oh, you can just work until you're 95. We can wheel you into the Congress if we need a 60th vote like we did, like we did with Robert Byrd. Sure. No problem. That's normal. If that's your perspective on things, you can't be attuned to the needs of 50 year olds who can't buy a job. I just don't believe it. And I also just don't like the idea that, that Congress seems to have a, everyone here is indispensable. Yes. And, you know, it's a permanent lifetime job. And that's the gerrymandering again that we're talking about. Uh, it just it it's time to recognize that. And, and I thought it was actually ironic. <laughs> it's time to recognize that the Democratic Party has to look like the Democratic Party. And <laughs> the top three people. Because it was very ironic that Nancy Pelosi pointed to the women behind her and said, the Republican Party doesn't look like this. And she had women of color and women. She had all, all these women Congress people behind her. And Good they point. were very diverse. And that's awesome. But <laughs> she's she and Steny Hoyer and the and, you know, the top three people in the Democratic leadership are all in their 70s. Yeah. Yes, they are. And that we were talking yesterday about how great it was that you know she yeah. had taken the job at the Senate campaign Senate re-election, Senate yeah. re-election Senate. campaign committee. She took a job yeah. that nobody wanted. She did an awesome job. And yeah, I thought did. it really would be nice if Patty Murray could have a chance at real leadership within the Senate. Yes. You know, because thinking she's she's one of these young people that could come in and do things. And I went and looked her up and she's 60. Yeah. So this is really Prince Charles syndrome. It really is. You know? It really is. You're it's just like sitting around for waiting 60 and waiting years. Waiting and waiting for a chance. Waiting for mom to kick off, yeah. you know? Yeah, and, 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 and real, it really going. is. We have to wait. We shouldn't have to wait for Nancy Pelosi to die until mm-hmm. there's some chance for fresh leadership. And I just mean rotation in office. I'm not talking about, 
you know, kicking anyone out or being nasty or anything like that. I'm just saying there should be rotation in office in the, in the Democratic leadership of the House. That's all. Well, and the, the, the same dynamic is at work in the media, but in a slightly different way. Oh, yeah. And that is that is that the same if you if you watch, for example, MSNBC during the course of a day, mm-hmm. the same people are on all day long. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They show up on each other's shows all day long. They interleave and interstitch and show up and talk. And one's a reporter. One's got a one's hosting and commenting. But it's the same 12 people. Yeah. And if you look at if you flip through the, the punditocracy, the people who've been controlling our conversation, the people who have been dominating the, the order of things and setting our debate for the last pick a, pick a number of years, it's the same group of people. It doesn't matter how fucked up you are. It doesn't matter how wrong you are. You never lose your job. And there are lots and lots of really smart, good, intelligent, well-written, well-read people out there who could do that job much better than they do. And those people are never, ever going to have a national audience because there's a tiny little spotlight and it's controlled by a handful of people who want to keep it that way. And – as long as you control that act, that choke point, uh, they're never leaving. They'll never go away. And there's a, there's a, it, it's, it's, I, I have no interest in a government job. I have no interest in running for office. I have no interest in being on Meet the Press. But it is incredibly depressing that we have monopolies mm-hmm. and, and in some cases, dynasties. Well, and, in our and politics. I brought this and, up on other podcasts too, uh, Gloria Steinem, who I think does have, a reasonable argument to make that subsequent groups of women abandoned feminism and didn't appreciate what she and her generation did for women. Yes. And I agree with that. Uh-huh. On the other hand, Gloria Steinem's answer to getting more women involved in politics is to gather a group of college students and 20 year olds and give them internships in DC. Yeah. When there are, Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of qualified women to run for office who are in their 40s and 50s that she could be paying <laughs> to yes. run. Well, there's that, isn't there? And, you know, it's a question of who, who threatens you and who doesn't, I think. I really do. And if, if you're working with people that are just below you in age, you can't really nurture them the way you can nurture a college student. Yes. Yes. You know, so go after your granddaughter rather than after your sister. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it, it it bugs me. Um, we kind of have to stop now because we're, we're. I know we do. I know. I hate to do that because I I uh-huh. love our listeners. I love talking to you, Drift Bus. It's always fun. Uh-huh. Uh, we are looking forward to our letter show next weekend, and every week we feature at our website and Facebook page an internet kitty sent in by you, the listeners. This week, our internet kitties, plural are Nikita and Copycat, and Copycat is spelled with Q's, Q-O-P-Y-Q-A-T, and they are adorable. Uh, you can send us your internet kitty, a picture to our email address, proleftpodcast at gmail.com, where you can also write to both of us. Feel free to write us. We love hearing from you. And uh, I wanted to say, too, um, we have not been able to get an accurate count of how many people we are listening to our podcast for about no. a month, because yep. uh, our uh, podcast provider that we pay to, to provide, and they provide very good service, but they've had to suspend counting 
um, iTunes listeners because of problems with the iTunes podcast app. Uh, so we really don't have an accurate idea. In fact, we don't have any idea of how many people are listening to us on iTunes. If you're listening to us on iTunes, we would love it if you would go ahead and review, rate and review our podcast on iTunes so that we have an idea that you're there. Uh-huh. Secondly, um, the non-iTunes listeners are numbering about 5,000 at this point. We suspect that we have about double that listening to us on iTunes. And I want to thank the 30 people this week who donated uh-huh. to our podcast. It was thank what you. we try to do. Our goal is 1% of our listeners will donate to the Uh podcast in any given week, and that includes people who give every month. Those those come in monthly by the date that people decided to donate, and I'm including those in the 30. Uh, But we had 30 people with money coming in, and I know everyone has Christmas coming up, and people are giving to Hurricane Sandy, and, uh, you know, it's, it's not a great time of year to fundraise, but I did want to take time out to thank the 30 people, the point. 6% 6% of you who donated this particular week. We really appreciate it. It means a lot to us. Our and, super packers. Well, we just, we can't do this without some financial help and we're, we're struggling financially and we're just grateful that you're there to help us out. Thank you. And, and you're, we know you're paying for us to do this podcast. This is not uh, charity. This is you supporting what we do and we really appreciate it. Again, we love hearing from you. Uh, do be aware that if you write us at any of our addresses, we reserve the right to read your email on the air unless you say otherwise. So, Blue Gal, how are those Internet kitties doing this week? Well, the Internet kitties can't believe that Petraeus's didn't make it into the podcast. Let's think about living. Let's think about loving. Let's think about the hooping and the hopping and the bopping and the loving, loving, dubbing. Let's forget about the whining and the crying, the shooting and the dying, and the fellow with a switchblade knife. Let's think about living. Let's think about life. This podcast is recorded under a Creative Commons license, copyright 2012, Drift Class Blue Gal Podcast. All right, we're going to stop I gotta now. I got to say. I think the right. kids were really good. Yeah, I think they were, too. Do you want to say something? What do you want to say? Are you still on? <laughs> yeah, we're still on. Oh, yay! Is this live? Yeah, well, it's recorded. We're recording um, you right now. Well, you can't cut me out, okay? You promised that, right? <laughs> what are you going to say? It depends. You have to talk right into here. Hi. What do you want to say? Um, that, um, please submit the internet kitty thing because I love to see the little adorable kitties. That's one of your favorite parts oh, of the show. You should talk about how much you love cats and that you are the cat whisperer. I'm the cat whisperer because I changed a cat that hid from all of humanity to loving two people, especially one of the people, and I'm not going to say who that is. <laughs> well, that's me. So, um, <laughs> in a week. Yeah, she um, really did turn around our crazy cat. Yeah, because it's quite amazing. It was quite amazing. Moo in the hallway, and then when you peeked your head through the door, and went, what the heck? She went, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Moo to yeah. She really did. She went from from hissing and being very scared and living in the basement and hating humanity, to being quite a gentle. I wouldn't call her a lap cat at this point, but she 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 will sit on the bed with you. Yes, now. and she will go pet me, pet me, pet yeah, me. Yeah, and she will and demand sit on attention. You. Yeah, she will. You really turned her around. I know you kids really did that, especially you. You're the cat whisperer. I know I am. So you want to encourage people to send in their internet kitty pictures. Yes, that's Please. what I mean. Please.